We are I. You know, there's probably no better sound to my ears this time around than about, it was about a year and a half ago or so, I think, that you and I sat down and we recorded probably one of the best podcasts that I've ever recorded, one of the best just conversations in general that ever air quotes recorded. Then at the end, there was just uh, obviously some some issues technically there. We didn't actually get it recorded and it never got aired and it was really disappointing to me, but uh Thanks for coming back and wanting to have this conversation. We've talked about there's been tons of changes in your life since. So maybe kind of recap, you know, when we first connected your journey, because, you know, like you made a pretty, you know, a few big, pretty substantial moves in the last year and a half or so. Yeah, for sure. And uh, basically, like what happened, you know, over this period of time, we have both, I'm sure, grown as people, you know, since the last time we talked. So now we have like evolved not only you know mentally spiritually and physically and in all aspects of our lives so not only have i personally moved forward you know gone you know to move to different countries but i've also my because of moving i believe it has expanded my horizons and every time i move countries funnily i find that i break through certain blockages and uh Moving to a new country is um, is very growthful because there are many many things involved in the process of uh, of moving, and you know there are many struggles that go into it. And so when you overcome those struggles, you realize uh, deeper and deeper your values, like what what's really important to you in life. And every single time that myself and my partner Tina have moved, we have felt that we are going towards something better every time. And uh, this is something that we are, you know, constantly aiming to do. And uh, how about yourself? How has uh, this one and a half year been treating you? I think that if I had to summarize what the last few years has really meant to me is that I re- I think that we all, I guess me specifically, I realized how tunnel vision that we get in our own lives and how when everybody collectively acts like that the wheels really really come off the bus and I'm not one of these people that says that we necessarily could live as a a global community I actually even find like you know the bigger the country geographically probably the harder it is to even live nationally I think Mm. provincially or state kind of gets a little bit more appropriate but municipally, I think it makes the biggest difference because these are the people that I'm going to see routinely all all the time throughout the course of my life, unless if I geographically mm. move. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that the more that we we think municipally on a smaller scale, but we live on a grand global scale, those mm. two things to me they they clash big time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of this I think kind of what started you know, with like the whole COVID thing, you know, when when you're dealing with global policies that affect people and communities. And it's like, well, you know, and a big part of that to me is like, you know, how can a federal government, you know, close nature? Because that's what happened in Canada. 
Mm. They guarantee mm. me, like, I can't go outside where I'm not going to see anybody. You're going to close a section of the forest because it's like, so it's like, those are things that I think were kind of like my biggest transformation. I see a lot of that in other people through the last few years where it's the, you know, really just focusing back on your smaller community and trying to get out of this, like we can live as 7 billion people on this planet because like so much Mm. of the information is irrelevant. You know, like I don't mean to seem harsh, but I'm Ukrainian but I, you know, I have very distant relatives in the Ukraine, but I don't have a bleeding heart for this situation because I honestly don't feel it it affects me in Vancouver, BC. You know, mm-hmm. is it horrible that it's happening to people? For sure. Mm-hmm. But it's because mm-hmm. of meddling in different places in different countries in the world is why it's all happening anyway. Same thing that was going on in the Middle East right now with like the Palestinians mm-hmm. and the Jews. It's just like, I think it's horrible that it's happening. But it's also horrible that I walk past kids every day in my own community and they're not eating either. So I need to focus on these children in my community not eating Mm. because the more that we want to meddle in everything else going on, it just creates greater conflict and it doesn't help bridge any of these gaps. Mm. I think what you just uh, touched on there is about taking self-responsibility and uh, ownership of oneself and how that reflects outwards towards the world, you know, and if we all take the responsibility in every aspect of our life, you know, with that's our health, mental health, our, our families, you know, the closest people to us, then, you know, they say that you become the five people you spend the most time around. So it's very important to be cautious and wise where you give your energy and whose energy you are receiving as well back, because that is literally like imprinting your thought patterns and your behaviors. And, all of that is slowly reflecting out bigger and bigger, you know, to the entire world. And what we are seeing right now on a global scale is a, is a lack of connection with self, is a lack of responsibility of self and um, technology, actually, even though we are connecting right now, and this is a blessing, has actually been the curse at the same time because it has taken us away from the true self. And, you know, to remember who we actually are, And what is the real meaning of life? Because now we have the option to live in two realities. We have the digital reality and the, and the real reality, right? And digital is not even real. It's just another world that can't exist simultaneously at the same time. It's just that if you think about it, if the majority of people are spending time indoors by themselves, isolated and they are staring at their screen. Now they are living 70 or even 80, 90% of their time in another reality. So now the real reality is not getting the same amount of time or credit that it should. And that is where we are improving ourselves in the real reality, in the real realm of nature, you know, in the natural world. But the technological reality is stealing away from ourselves. So in a way it can provide us so much, but if we, are not careful if we don't have that balance, if we don't make the effort to go outside, to connect with ourselves, to connect with our people who uh, are meaningful to us, then, you know, we'll be 70, 80, 90 years old and we won't even realize everybody around us will have, you know, disintegrated and we will be just like left by ourselves and we realize that we spent our whole lives in this, you know, other reality, in this illusion, basically. So see, you bring up a good point because I've often thought about this with like digital communication, right? So like, obviously, you know, you and I are talking right now, I can get a good feed off like your, your physical cues, 
you know, whether you're smiling, you know, whether we're making general eye contact, it's always kind of funny doing it through a computer screen, you know, like your, <laughs> yeah. your body language, you can do the same thing with me. If I'm always looking over here or like, if I look like I'm doing something with my hands, you can kind of tell that I'm not engaged in, in conversation with you specifically, although I might mm-hmm. be listening, I'm not present. So I've often thought to myself, maybe get, let me get your opinion on this. Do you think that it kind of breaks the emotional connection down between people, sorry, even when they do get back into actual physical conversation in person, because Mm. this is so emotionally numb. These conversations Mm -hmm. like this, they're emotionally numb because like, I don't actually feel your energy, like what you were saying. I I don't, I see your energy and I see Mm. the beautiful place that you're in. So then I manifest that in my mind, but I don't have that connection with you. And as I get older, those are some of the things that I realized the most about is like, why do I walk in the room and I act differently? So I always used Mm. to think it's just like, well, you know, like, this is just me. These are problems with me. But I'm like, no, it's like I'm absorbing energy from this room. And it's actually changing the fabric of who I am as a person. Yeah, yeah. And that's just like me reflecting back that energy, which Mm -hmm. maybe 20 years ago, I would have thought I was kooky saying the same thing. But you know, mm-hmm. I rest how pre- like prevalent that is now, but mm-hmm. you know, through all this digital communication, you never get any of that. And is it yeah. teaching us to be emotionally numb or emotionally desensitized to other human beings? Because we already know that people yell and scream at each other online all the time. And like you said, they have these fake personas of who they want to be. So like they're already emotionally disconnected from who they are because they're presenting yeah. another image anyway. Uh-huh. But then they're yeah. not even emotionally engaged with the person that or people <clears throat> that they're having a conversation with. You know, so like just I can stop rambling on, but what, what's your thought on that? Uh, well, what I call those people are keyboard warriors, you know, the ones yeah. who, uh, who would never say to your face and uh, who are who are just only like typing behind the screen. They're like in a very aggressive manner, like trying to respond to you, you know, to get trick because they are triggered, you know, because it's all about dopamine at the end of the day and uh, blue lights and non-native electromagnetic fields and all the stimulus from the screens is actually excessively raising our dopamine and then it crashes very hard afterwards as soon as we let go of that device. So we become dependent to uh, technology. So it's a very, very real thing. And what you said about about it numbing people and numbing people's emotions and uh, relationships to each other is very true on a very physical level, actually. What is actually happening physiologically inside of the body because it's altering the way that our nervous system is responding. Because technology and head posture, specifically when we are looking down, it basically shuts down the, uh, the vagus nerve, right? And the vagus nerve is responsible for putting us in a parasympathetic state. And when, when our head is down, we are now more into this dorsal type of state, which is more like this, uh, shut down, freeze, you know, hide, not run away not fight and flight it's like the opposite so the opposite of fight and flight so you've got two options when you've got fight and flight you either curl up in a ball and you hope that you don't get eaten or you run away from the threat or you fight the threat so if you go into this dorsal state which is like which is shut down and that actually happens through the usage the over abuse of technology and the head posture and the posture of the body spending long periods of time like that that alone just the posture is enough to put you into this mode where you don't feel like you want to engage with the world at all. Happens to myself as well because I spend a lot of time, you know, editing my content, making my videos, spending time on my gadgets, and I make the effort to spend time away from these things as well. But imagine 
individuals who don't, you know, and uh, that then basically it's just accumulating. It's an accumulative load and then it creates a very vicious cycle where you don't know whether it's physical or psychological. So it becomes both. And now it's manipulating and you can't separate the two. You know, when people talk about mental health and uh, psychological uh, disorders or behavioral problems, it's actually intertwined with your physiology. You cannot separate that because your brain is sitting inside of your body. Your brain is an organ of your body, right? So if we are generating thoughts or, yeah, if we are generating the thoughts from the brain or whether they are being downloaded from somewhere else, I don't know. But if our brain is not getting the correct signals because how the brain works is through feedback loops. So when it receives information from the outside, through the eyes, through the ears, through the temperature, the skin, the touch, all of this. And, uh, you know, that human connection, that's how we're able to respond. But as you mentioned with the technology is diminishing a lot of that, that hormonal feeling. Now, right now I can't feel your hormones through the screen right now. I can only pick up your facial expressions. So now I'm limiting the amount of information that I'm able to receive. So imagine if I'm already in a numb state my dopamine is low because I'm a tech abuser and I just chase these easy, quick fixes, you know, quick rewards, junk food, porn, uh, just over abusing technology overall, then I won't be there. I will be more passive, you know, and that might not be have anything to do with me. It will have to do with the fact that what has this actually done to my physiology? And the only way to break out of it is to stop doing it. So because it's very, very addictive, so we must find ways to raise dopamine naturally. And we can get into that slowly, slowly. Yeah. And, you know, and this, I think, kind of goes back to something that's been well studied and well researched, too, that um, like they know that people in third world countries or that live in, you know, kind of third world like conditions typically tend to be happier. And, you know, prescription use of SSRIs is lower you know, because there's a greater sense of community and where you belong in that community than arguably because you're with a community, which is typically a bigger family, you know, like more siblings, more aunties, more uncles, you know, grandparents are living with you. You're feeding off all those different vibrations and all that different energy, which makes you more connected. You know, like you're going to have less opportunity to be on devices. There's not going to be a PlayStation 5 or Xbox, whatever, you know, there's not going to be you know, six laptops and 10 phones and 17 TVs and a house, like all that kind of stuff, right? Where it's just, you know, sitting around a table eating bigger meals, which, you know, when you're in Cyprus, you, you know, you obviously thoroughly understand, you know, like that kind of Mediterranean culture. Now that you're in Costa Rica, I've been to Costa Rica and just stopping at the little roadside sodas and talking to, you know, somebody's grandma that comes, you know, like walking outside at the same time that, you know, like the mom is there and then the daughter's there too. So you have like multi-generational families just coming out yeah. just to chat, you know, like it's just, it's a great experience, you know, and like mm. this is what this digital realm has lost for all of us. And this is what mm. makes me concerned about these things, you know, like, like the metaverse or whatever, you know, like I know that uh, Lex Friedman and um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, they filmed that one podcast in it. You know, and like, yeah. sure, it's great and it's interesting, you know, but it's just, I think, like, the harms and, like, the detriment long term, you know, just, yeah. again, like, that quick little, like, don't mean this is new, this is crazy, this is awesome, I don't have to go anywhere, and it's just like, well, but on the flip side, that is, you're not countering that with anything positive, 
You know, mm-hmm. like, does you go from like that world into like, you know, a semi transitional fake world, which is like you're living in reality, but you're still digitally in front of something. You're just not fully immersed in the digital side, like in the metaverse. But when are you fully immersed in nature? You know, like, yeah. like, you, like, and you're fully immersed with like the experience, the human experience living in nature with other people, you know, which mm. is something that you get in, you know, more third world like countries too, or, you know, like, you know, and I don't mean third world in a bad way, but just not as, you know, westernizes, you know, so developed. Yeah. in yeah. like technologically advanced. Exactly. No, this is very true. Like the way around here where we live, like I noticed that, you know, when you go to the supermarket, when you go to the stores, to the, to the town, you notice that people are just so much more open and they're very present, right? Because no one is actually, people here don't really have like, you know, very progressive gadgets or they don't have smartwatches. They don't have, they don't have a reason to look at their phone. Here, the internet connections are, are pretty crap as well, like the mobile data connections. So people have no reason or intention to be on their phone and they're more connected with their environment. So when you look at someone, they're actually not staring down. They're very present with their environment. So you're more likely to make a connection uh, or to to speak with someone you don't even know. And they, you know, they might share with you something that, you know, you were not expecting or some, some good information or you might make a new friend. Whereas now, like, you know, if you look at Europe, if you look at United States, like what's happening, everybody is just so, you know, <laughs> delved into that digital reality because that's what's being sold. But at the same time, I understand that it's hard for people to, so I'm not criticizing individuals. It's just more, I understand that it becomes an addiction, which is very hard to break away from if you don't know what to replace it with, because it's a bit like cigarettes, you know, uh, tech abuse and just in general overall, because we've got so many gadgets right now, right? So we've got like smart fridges, smart washing machines, smart toasters. So like everything is like more technologically advanced, more dopamine driving. So it's kind of, it's more enthusiastic. It drives me to be more indoors. And so, you know, if we don't know how to replace uh, you know, certain things to be able to live in alignment with nature, then it's very hard to not be disconnected, mm-hmm. you know? The, in the, in, this is an interesting part. I talk about with a couple of people in my life quite regularly is that everybody wants to be so big globally that they have no interest in being, you know, big, air quotes, big or popular locally. Yeah. You know, so like yeah. what, what means more to the human experience you have to be a prisoner of your phone so that you can be more well-known globally instead of being less connected with your phone, going to the grocery store and rec- people recognizing you or you getting conversation, going out to a restaurant, same thing, walking down the street, the same thing, dropping your kids off at school, the same thing, working on the gym, the same thing. However, those things have become annoying to people. They're like, I don't actually want to be, you know, air quotes, big or famous locally where it makes more sense to us as a human being. They're like, I would rather be in this bigger global community, be less connected with the people locally. But that's always how it was. You know, like if you were the doctor of the town, you were the mm-hmm. doctor of the town. If you were like the pharmacist, you were the pharmacist. If you were the personal trainer, you were the personal trainer. If you were the grocer, like everybody just had this one thing. And then we kind of contributed to this this bigger community where everybody kind of knowing each other. And then it also helps keep people's attitudes in check too, where they're just like, no, I have to actually be a better human being because I am going to walk down the street and people are going to recognize me and people are going to be like, 
you know, oh, this is, you know, Blake and, you know, he's, you know, Don's son and, you know, and all those kind of things where it's just like your family name means something in the community, but it just seems like people have lost that. Like, do you, do you yeah. have that? like people just don't, Oh yeah. they don't want to be known locally. They only want mm-hmm. to be known on this, this global market, even though they could even be more financially successful, just being more known locally than globally. But there's this, this hyper attraction yeah. to the, the global mm-hmm. infamy instead of the local infamy. Oh yeah, that's so true. I mean, I see that all the time, you know, and uh, it's just the fact that where do people spend the majority of the time, as we just talked about, you know, where, where do they wish to, which reality do they wish to engage in, you know, and it just seems so, it's quite sad, really, like when, um, when you know people, relatives, uh, of your own, where, you know, you might go, you never, you might not see them for like a couple of years and you go to meet them and then, they might talk to you for five minutes and then the rest of the time they're on their phone or they don't want to engage with you in, in this reality because they, they find that the other reality is more entertaining, more important. Like they are getting something so much more out of it. But how I see it is so if it's not providing you value, if it's not making you money, if it's not, uh, you know, taking you forward, why use it? You know, the only reason why I, I use technology is to be able to connect with like-minded people like yourself around the globe, to be able to spread good information and to be able to make a living out of it. You know, otherwise I wouldn't be online because I understand that there are so many detrimental factors to being online uh, that are actually, you know, putting me at risk. So I have to be very cautious of that. And because I am aware of it, I have to even for myself, I have to be very disciplined. Okay, after a certain amount of time in the day or at a certain time, I'm not going to look at my phone anymore, no matter what. Even if I have to answer to some important messages, I have to just set some boundaries for myself because if I don't do that, I know I'm becoming unhuman, right? I'm becoming trans, transhuman. And that's kind of like what they want, you know, with this, uh, the whole metaverse and the goggles thing. It's kind of like, we are now, you can choose who you want to be in that other reality. You can have the body that you want in the other reality, even though you're fat in real life. You know, you can, you can do all these things. You can be rich in the metaverse, but you're not rich in real life. So this is where the problem occurs that, you know, when we start to think that the other reality is actually the real reality, the digital reality. And therefore now we are putting ourselves at great risk as, as a humanity overall, because not only that, but our uh, fertility levels are dropping, you know, all over the world. And there are many contributing factors to this. But one major factor is, you know, this technology overuse, the electromagnetic radiation, keeping phones close to your balls, close to your genitals in general. You know, you are basically turning your system off because it's constantly under threat, under stress. And that's what these things do to the body, whether we are aware of it or not. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, just uh, obviously, you know, then this could be like even a segue like into diet. Now, because then you're talking about thing like phthalates, you know, in, in the plastics that's in all of our food and you can't escape from it now either that are dropping testosterone at a, you know, at a rapid level. Then you just get into like yeah. families don't need to be big anymore either. You know, like, you know, you don't need to have three sons and like a daughter, you know, to like to marry out, you know, to be able to help, you know, keep the family just alive, you know, you know, mm-hmm. plowing fields, building houses, like all these kind of things and stuff like that. Right. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. so there's no, there's not absolute necessity for big families anymore. At the same time that, you know, libido's dropping, you know, like you said, like fertility, fertility levels are at an all time low. And, you know, I just mm-hmm. read something this morning that, 
the the number one threat to South Korea's military is population decla- or, uh, collapse. They they just released a report saying like you know they won't be able to defend their country soon because they just won't have you know enough mm. soldiers to be able to do so. You know, mm. just like all these kind of things where it just you know goes into it. But um, let's get into some like health and wellness. So I I know that digital well being is a huge part of our health and wellness now. But you know, so much of our conversation before like revolved around like sauna, ice bath, nutrition, grounding. You know, like um, let's get into the nutrition side. Of it. Like, how are you eating these days? Like, I I know I see a lot of your content. You know, online you guys are obviously animal based. You know, like healthy fats. Um, you guys are both jacked. You and Tina look like your poster children <laughs> for like, you know, the most good looking couple on the planet for sure. You guys oh, are awesome. thank you so much. Um, how are you guys eating these days? Like what's, what's going in the mouth? Well, currently we're doing the carnivore diet. We kind of started it maybe, uh, maybe like two, three weeks ago, but we ate, uh, we transitioned to an animal based diet over two years ago. So as soon as we basically left Finland or before we left Finland, we were, eating starting to eat more of an animal-based diet before we were both plant-based tina was plant-based almost her entire life until that point i did it with her for five years i lost all my gains i got fat i started to feel like okay i'm getting brain fog Uh, i was eating organic i was eating local by the way just so people know that i was doing plant-based diet right as i what i thought was the best thing to do at the time so I was eating, you know, as much organic as I could, as much local as I could. I never ate any processed soya. I never ate any processed burgers or anything like this. So it was actually a clean plant-based diet. But at the same time, and you clearly were my also body was... Mixing, sorry to cut you off. And you were also mixing your foods to make sure that you're getting adequate amino acid profiles. Exactly. Um, like, I, was, I, just, I want people yeah. to know when you say that you're doing it right, like you are one of the few people on this planet, you know, in a very small percentile that actually was like cognitively going about this uh yes. based diet program and trying to do your best at it so I yeah know. i was genuinely trying to do my best and so was tina as well and we both have a bachelor's in, in nutrition as well so we are very aware about all these things and you know we know how to calculate our macros and our our micronutrients as well so that wasn't really an issue but clearly there was something fundamentally missing uh that we were not getting i think the issue was in the nutrient density factor so we had to eat so much more food so before I would eat a ton of food, but I would still be hungry. And then I would also get a lot of bloating, a lot of gas because, you know, vegetables, beans, stuff like that, they are very gas promoting. And I had a lot of like digestive discomfort. I had brain fog. I had, you know, I started to gain weight, even though uh, I wasn't really overdoing it, like with the, in terms of the energy intake, it was all calculated for. So when I switched to an animal based diet, when we both did that, our physique just immediately started transforming week by week. And only after maybe like eight weeks of doing it, we already saw like a massive transformation in our body. So, yeah, so basically now I'm doing, I've cut out all the vegetables, all the fruits, all I'm eating right now is just basically a lot of uh, ground beef, eggs, raw butter, sometimes some dairy, you know, a little bit of raw cheese or something like that. But the, the dairy is more on the limited side. I mainly just focus on, on beef, high-quality beef and eggs and butter. So that's our uh, our current state. Yeah, I find, too, you know, because, like, I, I think this is kind of what started prompting us talking, you know, back when we did and just communicating online before we actually had our, our last conversation is that, you know, 
when I was doing all that experimenting with my diet, like what's the best diet for me? And for like eight months, I got tracked by a team of, you know, doctors and professionals. We walked through all the different diets, you know, had my baseline training schedule and everything. And like in my, I was the most unhealthy on a plant-based diet, you know, like blood pressure was high, you know, grade one, grade two hypertension all the time, you know, gained 10, 12 pounds. My endurance went up slightly, but my strength went down by like 20%. You know, just, and you can kind of see that if you're on a plant-based diet, I think, and I like to speak from a male's perspective, but like, if you're on a plant-based diet as a male, like you can see yourself transforming into a beta male, you know, and and this isn't whole, like everybody should be an alpha male and, you know, like it's not one of those things, pitches. it's just more like you can see yourself transforming into a docile individual. And, you know, the one thing that I can't say is you get like, if you take a million people, there's going to be one guy that's like, you know, this true more likely and not like a mesomorph body type that's going to be able to eat a plant-based diet and just be like an alpha male and now all of a sudden he's the poster child that every guy can achieve that and it's just like no like that just it doesn't work that way and like i found yeah. that i was my most healthy when i was eating predominantly animal based and i haven't gone back since like the worst yeah. thing that i eat is uh is peanut butter every once in a while that, like yeah. a peanut butter. that that's his that's about as far down the rabbit hole as I go, except for the heavy metals that might be in some of the dark chocolate that I eat. But, you know, <laughs> like 80%, you know, like and it's just coconut oil and local honey yeah. and, you know, yeah. all my, you know, locally sourced, you know, like meats and all that kind of stuff and uh-huh. my EG1. So it's like, you know, it, it gets pretty simple. But the more that I do this, the more that I realize, even like what you said with dairy products, I have nothing against dairy products. I just noticed the little little GI distress, you know, from them, you know, like, I don't feel the greatest, like, I know that I can eat it. I know that, you know, especially mm. cheeses, you know, in, you know, you know, more like, you know, like Finnish cultures and, you know, like, you know, Germans, you know, like that neck of the woods, it was just to be able to get the extra calories at a certain point in time when, you know, like there wasn't a, an abundance of meat. So there was a bunch of higher calorie stuff put on meats, you know, or in conjunction with meats, which were like, the dairy products and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, well, if I have accessibility to more meat now, I'm just going to walk down that road. And like, I haven't been able to turn back since because like, it's just not only do I recognize that I don't need the carbohydrates is obviously, you know, we can walk down that rabbit hole. There's no such thing as yeah. like essential carbohydrate. You know, we have our essential, you know, amino acids, we have our essential fats, but there's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. And that alone to me should kind of blow everybody's mind in a way of being like, well, why do all of these food pyramids from around the world in these westernized countries, why do they promote such heavy carbohydrate intake if there's no no such thing as an essential carbohydrate? You know, like that's the boggling thing. You know, I have a bit of a theory on this. Like, I think it goes two ways. One, because it's profitable and like to make, you know, carbohydrate rich foods is so cheap and you can, you can make it in mass production. You can... You can put it in everything. And this is why in the supermarkets, 90% of the food is crap. And what is it? It's mainly processed carbohydrates and seed oils <laughs> and sugars. And that's basically what it is. And then you've got like maybe some vegetables, some fruits and some, and some meat, which is the only thing edible and, and some dairy products in the actual supermarket. The rest of the stuff is crap. So the thing is that it's actually so easy these days to promote that and they have just really nailed it in you know people's brain that we actually need the carbs as a form of energy and i can explain to you on a deeper you know 
cellular level why we actually don't need the carbs, especially when you understand how the mitochondria work and the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. But another reason why I believe why the food pyramid is the way it is, is because in the times of war, the, it was easy to have, you know, something that was like a survival food. Carbohydrates were a survival Potato was a survival food. Bread was a survival food. All this carbohydrates, it gives you a lot of energy, but it doesn't give you a lot of nutrition. So it helps you survive, but it doesn't make you thrive. So it's kind of stuck there, you know, from the past. And then they found reasons, you know, over the years, done some like uh, bought research, you know, manipulated research to show that, oh, yeah, eating this carbohydrate, eating this carbohydrate is beneficial. For example, eating sweet potatoes is beneficial. You know, they try to find ways like to excuse the fact that, you know, that it's okay to eat. So let's get into it then. Why, why is it actually not necessary to eat carbohydrates? Because as you mentioned, that there is no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. We have essential fats and essential proteins, and those are required to build and regenerate the body and use them. It can even, the body can even use them as a fuel source, but the body cannot necessarily build or regenerate itself with carbohydrates. It's going to just use it for energy and the excess energy that it's not going to use, where is it going to go? It's going to get stored in our adipose tissue. So that just means that we're going to get fat. And when we get fat, we also increase our inflammation in our body as well. So if obviously, if we have chronic systemic inflammation, that is like one of the roots of all, you know, modern day diseases. Mm-hmm. And so when we understand how the mitochondria works, how it converts energy, and basically how food is eventually always broken down into electrons, we need to look at how many electrons or how much ATP does one gram of carbohydrate give us versus one gram of fat. And so like one gram of carbohydrate gives us maybe two to four ATPs, whereas one gram of fat gives us something like 30 something ATP. So ATP is the cellular currency, what the body uses all around the body to fuel the body to be able to thrive, to be able to have the energy, to be able to have cognitive function, to be able to perform. So basically for everything. So that's our cellular currency. So if we get more energy from fats, why are we relying on carbohydrates? It's actually not necessary. We use carbohydrates or glucose in a state of survival. So when we are wanting to sprint away from a tiger, our body has preserved glucose in the muscle and in the liver readily available for us so we can run away from the threat. So we use that. But the majority of the time, when we are not doing things like this, we are actually using fat metabolism. And so everybody's there, you know, eating, consuming excess carbohydrates, getting ready to run away from a tiger when there's clearly no tiger to run away from. Mm -hmm. And so now we're just starting to store all that into our adipose tissue and we're causing havoc to the system. And There are many benefits, you know, to consuming fats as well, because when you consume fats, you go into and you don't consume carbohydrates, you go into ketosis. So that's when your body is focused on using fat as an energy source. And that means you're on body fat or converting the fat that you're eating into energy, into ketones. So, of course, your body can convert fats into glucose as well. But, of course, we don't want to be doing that so much. It's only when we are in a fight and flight state. And so when we're in ketosis, we're actually in a healing state. That's the primary state of the body. It's almost like doing fasting. When we fast, we actually go into ketosis. So it's actually the primary state of our body. When we are born, we are born in ketosis. When we wake up from our sleep, 
we wake up in ketosis. That depends also on the amount of carbs that we had the day before. So it kind of tells us something that if our body is wanting to be in ketosis the majority of the time, and this is the primary state of the body, why are we trying to suppress the body's natural uh, energy production or most efficient energy production? And so this is why when we excess carbs or we carbs in general, we actually feel lethargic afterwards because we actually slow down the entire process of the mitochondria producing energy. So the mitochondria now do not make as much mitochondrial water. And the mitochondrial water, which is produced in the electron transport chain, that's where the electrons are passing through, is very beneficial for our system because it's in a specific state, which is called exclusion zone water. And this is the type of water which is more compatible with your system. The water that we drink is not in an exclusion zone state. So exclusion zone means when the water is more in a gel-like state, when we go through metabolism, so when we make energy, we produce this metabolic water. And this metabolic water is deuterium-free. Deuterium is the heavy hydrogen which wrecks the mitochondria. And that's mainly found in high-carbohydrate foods. So there is another reason why we don't want to be consuming uh, excess carbohydrates because that will wreck the mitochondrial engine, which actually produces our energy. So if we are feeling like we're lacking the energy, we are gaining fat, we have brain fog, we are just not feeling optimal overall, it's just because we are not allowing our body to metabolically switch between the states glucose metabolism and fat metabolism. The, the more time we spend in fat metabolism, the more efficient our mitochondria become at converting energy in general from the food that we consume or from our own body fat. And when we introduce carbs, then when it's more efficient and more sensitive, now it's going to metabolize it way quicker. So again, like there are so many, so many reasons that I can keep on going, but I'll let you I'll let you uh, pop in if you want to ask anything. Well, I think it's also one of those things too, that we know that if you're looking at just fat and carbohydrate as like, you know, sources of energy, which like you're absolutely correct to be able to make this, you know, assumption and everybody is it just two sources of energy that, you know, one of them is more like your jet fuel, you know, like you said, like, you know, your, your alcohol, you're going to put in a car that, you know, you're just going down a quarter mile of track, which is obviously like your carbohydrates. And then, you know, like your, the rest of your energy, which should be coming from your fats. Well, we know that like overconsumption of, you know, healthy fats is not going to lead you down this road of being, you know, insulin dependent, you know, like you're not, you're not going to have metabolic dysfunction, you know, from, you know, consuming too many healthy fats. Now on the flip side of that, no matter how healthy your carbohydrates are, you know, you're going to end up with metabolic dysfunction. You're going to be, you know, insulin resistant. You're going to be, you know, pre-diabetic. Like there, there's no, there's no way that you can refute that. Like there's a plethora mm -hmm. of scientific evidence out there. Never mind you have just people walking around where you can see it on their body. Like the evidence is literally physically walking in front of you. So you can't, you can't deny any one of these things, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it all comes down to breaking people's mentality. This is the only thing that I think it, it really matters is transport or transforming people's mentality that fat doesn't make you fat. Because yeah. we're still all the byproduct of all the bullshit from the last... 30, 40 years that, you know, people have been putting out that fat makes you fat. You need to eat low fat foods, which then are like 
high carbohydrate based foods, high glucose based foods, you know, but like breaking that, and I, I, I can see the groundswell coming. And this is one of the few things that I'll thank the American military for, like the, you know, Department of Defense in the States, because they did so much research on ketogenic diets, you know, specifically, you know, what's the easiest, cheapest, best way to feed soldiers in the field and have high, strong cognitive function. So a ton of the ketogenic research came from them, which is awesome. Um, you yeah. know, but like it, it's breaking that mentality that, you know, that fat makes you fat. You know, and like, you know, then this is the, I guess, segue to seed oils and all the bullshit fats and stuff out there, because there's obviously a clear difference between good fats and, and bad fats. And, you know, we now know that, you know, in the West, you know, uh, trans fats are illegal. Like you're not allowed to have trans fats or put trans fats in foods because of how poisonous and carcinogenic they are to the human body, which there should be a laundry list of other stuff. You know, that falls mm-hmm. in conjunction with that. But, you know, maybe if you want to hop in, you know, this is a good chance for you to dive into the good fat versus bad fat so we can help break that that methodology that people are, are armed with, especially women. Because this is, sorry, I'll hop this in there too, is being a father of three daughters. And obviously, you know, my wife and stuff, you know, like we look at, you know, this is a very tough, challenging subject for them, you know, because it's like trying to explain that these healthy fats actually help promote a healthy hormonal balance in your body where you have such strong hormonal fluctuations on a monthly basis. It should be more of a priority, but it's actually mm. looked at as a detriment, you know, healthy fat. Mm. There you yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is that what do we consider as a healthy fat or in general when people vilify fats, they are putting all fats into the same category, right? And it's really funny when individuals think about healthy fats, the first thing that they think about is probably olive oil, avocado oil, almonds, and, you know, this kind of seeds and stuff like that. But no one is actually thinking of saturated fats, which are I, what I believe are actually the healthiest fats that exist on the planet, which are found in egg yolks, red meat, you know, you've got coconut oil, Basically, any animal fat is, is basically saturated fat. And when it's in that form, it's incredible for our hormones because actually saturated fat and high cholesterol foods are actually necessary to optimize our hormonal levels. And we actually cannot make vitamin D if we do not consume high cholesterol foods because cholesterol, basically, when the sun strikes our skin, that's when we convert cholesterol to vitamin D. And so this is why it's essential to go outside. But at the same time, we also need to be consuming the cholesterol to be producing enough vitamin D and to actually help us produce the other hormones in the body as well. And so uh, saturated fats have been vilified because it's been associated with heart disease. But actually, the problem is that cholesterol is so easily manipulated right from day to day uh, in terms of results in terms of uh, the blood measurements it's not like it's a very uh, fixed a fixed number so for example today i can provide my food my body with a like a let's say a steak with a lot of fat on it and then after the steak i drink a oreo milkshake and that oreo milkshake what it will do it will provide my body every all the glucose that it needs to suppress or to lower my cholesterol in my blood. Because now there is no need for lipids to be floating around in my blood to be providing energy to the rest of my body. As soon as I remove the Oreo now, the Oreo shake, and I only eat the steak and eggs, 
what I'm doing now, my body is forced to provide to find energy from somewhere else. I don't have glucose, so I must use LDL, HDL. I must uh, use cholesterol as a carrier of energy to move, to float the fat around my system to take it to my muscle, to take it to my organs, to my brain, to provide my cells with energy. So actually, yes, of course, your cholesterol rises when you are not eating carbohydrates and when you are eating. Uh, excess, excess red meat and excess, you know, high saturated fat foods because your body is having to put that into circulation to survive. Well, how do we explain pe uh, to people when someone is not consuming cholesterol at all, high cholesterol foods or saturated fat, but their cholesterol is still high? How do we explain that? Well, there is another reason why cholesterol goes into the, into the bloodstream. And one of those reasons is inflammation. When we have systemic inflammation for whatever reason and let's say one of those reasons is consuming excess carbohydrates all the time excess sugars raising our insulin all the time causing havoc to our blood vessels and our arteries now our blood vessels and arteries are under threat and we are creating micro damage that micro damage needs to be stopped in its tracks we can't let it spread to the heart to the organs to the other areas of the body so what does cholesterol do? Cholesterol goes there to save the day, like a fireman. It's trying to put the fire out. It's going to lay on top of the problem. It's going to stay there until the problem is done, you know? And then once it's done, it's going to move on. It's going to go away from there. So that's how we can actually reverse our atheromatic plaque that we develop inside our, you know, our blood vessels through our diet. So we need to get rid of the inflammation and we need to get rid of the root cause of the problem. So we can allow cholesterol and saturated fat to, you know, move on from the story. So mm -hmm. this is why if people are afraid for this. You need to understand that, yes, uh, in individuals who are not eating high cholesterol foods and who are eating excess sugars, excess carbohydrates, and you have high cholesterol, it could potentially be a problem for you. But if, if you have high cholesterol and you're metabolically healthy, your insulin is low, your sugar is low, your triglycerides are low, your blood pressure is fine. I'm not necessarily concerned about that. Of course, I'm not a medical doctor and I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do, but I wouldn't necessarily be concerned about this fact that my cholesterol would be through the roof because I understand how our physiology is functioning. The reason why it's going there, the reason why it's floating around is because we need to supply the body with energy. And this is why saturated fats are fundamental to our body and to our system. Well, and, and this is why, too, like, you know, we only get blood work done. Like, the only thing that really should be looked at, you know, is just what your triglyceride levels are, you know. And, like, you know, even it, yeah. even that they just look at LDL cholesterol levels is, like, this biomarker that you should be measuring against when we know that it's APOB that they should be measuring for anyway and why that's not standardized on a, you know, on, on a lipid profile it is beyond me at this point in time when it is widely accepted that that's the one thing that we should be focused on to even see if have, if your individual cholesterol levels are high in a bad way like that's the only folk that's the only biomarker that we should be focused on and it's not and like this where it gets mm -hmm. back to just like you know where i take it that although we may not get a hundred percent of the things right i know that because of all the doctors that i know and the doctors that i engage in conversation with that they know a lot what they know of what they know, but they don't know a lot when it comes to nutrition. And and I get it and everything evolves now so rapidly, you know, but like this is where I find that conversations like this are so valuable to people, even if only one person ever hears it. 
and it changes their mind because like it realizes it's the same thing like what I was talking about when we're living on too big of a scale where we just get we get told what to do and how to think and like this is how you know this is how we have to live our lives and like think of how many people have had their lives ruined because they went and got a lipid profile and they were told their LDL cholesterol levels were high so they had to cut down on their consumption of meat and it's just yeah. and not only that and put on medications which actually block the body from using the fat as an energy and this is very very detrimental because every single cell in the body is made up of fat the skin is made up of fat you know the elasticity of the skin you know how how like youthful you look it's because of the fat content in your body the type of fats that you consume so we didn't touch on the seed oil aspect and the and the difference between the seed oils and the the processed seed oils talking about not necessarily if you get like some raw nuts from nature, you know, it's probably okay. But if we're, if we're talking about processed industrial seed oils, which are found in everything, uh, these days, the when you go down the aisle and all those yellow, yellow, like, uh, gross tubs there, you know, with all the oil in, that's the, that's the stuff that we're talking about that we want to be avoiding because that stuff is high in deuterium, which is what I mentioned about earlier, which is the heavy hydrogen. And so we've got light hydrogen and heavy hydrogen, and that's the heavy hydrogen is what wrecks the the mitochondria, and light hydrogen is actually what heals the body. You know, it's what it's what you hear. You know, a lot of companies these days they're making hydrogen water, or hydrogen gas, and that's beneficial for the body. Uh, whereas the heavy heavy hydrogen, the deuterium, is actually a big problem because, and this is actually found in seed oils in excess. And this is a big problem, right? So not only is it found in carbohydrates, but it's also found in the seed oils. So combining those two things together can be uh, a proper bomb to your uh, mitochondria. And we probably don't want to be doing that. And, that, and the eating the real fats from nature, animal-based fats, actually allows our mitochondria to work more efficiently. And so this is why we actually want to opt for what nature is giving us and not what human has created. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you make a good point because like, you know, I often tell people this too, and, you know, sometimes it hits home with them. Sometimes it doesn't where if saturated fats were so bad and and animal based fats were so bad, there would be no carnivores on this planet. Like there couldn't be, you know, and the thing is, it's like, well, you know, like their digestive systems are different than ours and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, there's subtle differences, you know, like I'll, I'll admit that there is. You know, but it's not like our our systems are not as different with like a bear is like what it is to a cow where a cow has three stomachs and, you know, can break down cellulose like where we can't, you know, like these things like where there's just like this extra gastric process that happens to be able to break down some of these higher compound foods that we can't like, you know, like we're not going to go eat alfalfa off a bale all day and thrive like, you know, we are not going to and it's going to have detriment to the body. So the simple fact that there is strictly just carnivores on this planet goes to show you that they can't like saturated fats and animal based fats can't be that bad. You know, like there's yeah, just, like, exactly. that simple math is there. And then people say, this like, well, you know, yes, but there's also, you know, just strictly obviously, you know, like, you know, plant-based, you know, animals on this planet. It's like, yes. But again, if you look at their digestive systems, their digestive systems are substantially different than ours and what ours mm. is to a carnivore. So we lean mm-hmm. a little bit more towards that that carnivore, bear, you know, cougar, you know, like those apex predators. We are our digestive systems are a lot more 
compatible to that than what they are of like an elephant. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if you ever want to win an argument about which diet is best or more appropriate for humans, it comes back down to the deuterium story, which I uh, spoke to you about. Because if you research this uh, more and you understand it more, you will realize that deuterium, which is the heavy hydrogen, uh, it will break the mitochondria eventually. And the mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell. If the powerhouse of the cell cannot produce energy, you are going to die. Without electrons being able to be transported throughout the electron transport chain, if you stop making energy, that's basically when you're dead. Like when you die, you're, you stop making energy. And so this is what's actually happening, you know, when we are eating excess, you know, deuterium, and it's mainly found in high carbohydrate foods. And what is a plant-based diet? It's very heavy in high carbohydrate foods, and it's almost impossible to avoid. And guess what? Nature added a high deuterium in fruits and in vegetables because plants cannot move around. Right. So the reason why it put it in the fruits and the vegetables is because it's a growth factor. It makes things grow. And so basically when animals and birds and things eat it, they shit their seeds everywhere. It gives them diarrhea and then they're able to reproduce. Whereas like, you know, when we are um, reached an adult age, we actually do not need deuterium anymore. Do we actually want things growing inside our body that are not meant to be there? So this is exactly another thing that you know, if you ever want to like really understand why a plant-based diet is suboptimal, it's number one, it's not nutrient dense. What does nutrient dense mean? It means that when you consume something like this, can you get 100 calories from it or can you not? You know, can you get some, um, a lot of minerals and calories in a very small amount? So that means it doesn't put stress on your digestive system. It, your body can break it down efficiently. You can survive for a longer period of time. That means that we are more likely able to thrive because we are getting enough energy and enough micronutrients that our body needs. And that diet is naturally more deuterium depleted because of the animal fats. Animal fats are low in deuterium, whereas like seed oils and like uh, fruits and vegetables are higher in deuterium. So that's the end of story. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and just like on top of like a plethora of, you know, extra benefits and reasons, you know, just to quickly note that, you know, digesting, you know, like, you know, meat-based products higher up in the small intestine. So it mimics, you know, fasting principles and stuff like that too. On top, taking, you know, like two thermal units of energy to be able to break down. So you're using a lot more of the calories you're consuming to be able to break down and utilize those calories in the system. You know, like you said, like the nutrient dense factor. Again, if we go back to this primal side, we know a lot of these apex predators eat organ meat first because they're so, you know, tapped into the energy from those organs and understand the nutrient values beside them. Like there's so many compounding reasons. Like I, I've, you, I'm sure it happens, but you never really see, you know, two apex predators fighting over a banana, you know, out in nature somewhere, you know, but they will fight over a liver and, you know, like that's, you know, like yeah. that's, that's the simple math right there to be able to look at it. Right. But um, mm -hmm. mobility, you're, you're a, a mobility expert, you and Tina experts. Uh, how did you guys get into the mobility side? I think like obviously strength is a priority too. And we all, we all know this, but um, how did you guys walk down the road of mobility and functionality? Okay. So, well, how it started really, Tina was always kind of more of a functional person. So she, 
focused a lot of her training on functionality, yoga, you know, a bit more endurance type uh, when I met her many, many years ago. And then when I met her, we kind of, you know, cross-pollinated our ideas and we shared training philosophies. I offered her more of the bodybuilding strength type of knowledge and she gave me a lot of the yoga functionality, you know, knowledge. And slowly over time, we started to, you know, develop our own movements that actually felt good in our body, you know, and we, we realized that, okay, it helps us move well, it makes us feel good. And, you know, basically, it improves our flexibility, our mobility. And we noticed that it also improves our strength training, too. And so then slowly over time, we started to develop like a bit of a system, you know, we started to do more uh, unique movements and exploring how the body works. I don't know if you know, Edo Portal, you know, where the guy who coached uh, Conor McGregor, he basically is a big uh, proponent of moving on all fours close to the ground because you are increasing your sensory input from the ground by spending more time on your hands and your feet. And you're trying to, you know, fight gravity with your body or not fight, but rather flow, flow with gravity, not go against it. So you're basically becoming one with it and trying to move as efficient as possible with the ground. So that's kind of like how we go into it. And then over the years, you know, our system has developed quite a lot. And what if I told you that actually strength training is a very important factor in mobility, you know, and how it plays a critical role into being more flexible? Because what is actually mobility? Mobility is when you apply stress on a muscle as it's going through full range of motion so that your brain can understand that this is important to you, that what you're doing without the strength, if you're just passively stretching your muscles, bouncing up and down, trying to, you know, trying to get that range in your muscles, what you're doing there, you're just aggravating the system. It's never going to grant you the access to greater ranges of motion. It might temporarily give you a little bit more range of motion, but why is it not sticking? This is why everybody is like doing mobility drills every day, you know? And so, you want to be, ha- be able to have ready, a ready state mobility, which means that you're ready at any moment, whether if you're sitting down or whatever, to be able to just do something athletic, to be able to jump, to run, you know, to be in a, in a ready state like an animal is in nature, you know, to run away from a threat or to run towards uh, a prey. And so basically what happens is when you apply a load on the body while the tissue is lengthening, you are programming via your muscle, your brain, that what you're doing is stressful. And your body doesn't necessarily like stress. And this is what happens in training in general. You put it under stress. And so what it does to adapt to that stress, obviously an adaptation occurs. So then the next time you do it, you'll be more flexible because your body doesn't want to experience that level of stress again. But of course, this can also be dangerous depending on if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, I'll give you an example. If you, let's say, never squat all the way down in a barbell squat and you always squat at night, you stop at 90 degrees or parallel to the floor with your, with your legs. Then if you go all the way down with a lot of load, this might be dangerous or it might be the most beneficial thing that you will ever do. So it's all about context. Uh, you have to use the appropriate load. Uh, we need to know the, 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 in, the background of the individual. We need to know the level or the range of motion in a person. So we need to understand all of these things before putting the body under load. But one very safe way 
to grant access to the nervous system with the load is through body weight because the body is way less threatening to the system, but you can't apply just enough load on your body to be able to grant you the access to greater ranges of motion. This is why you see people who do gymnastics or, or these type of sports, why they are so flexible is because they are so strong at lengthening their muscles under tension. So when we are tent- putting the, you know, applying the tension uh, while we are stretching the muscles out, that is what grants us that flexibility that stays. You don't need to warm up to get into that, you know, range of motion. Would you see that, you know, if you use the gymnast analogy, it's like, you know, like, you know, got like men and women on like the pummel horse or the rings, um, the parallel bars, those things where you need like an astronomical amount of strength, you know, in yeah. the awkward positions that the body is going to be in. And you would think traditionally that, you know, muscle mass would inhibit your ability to be able to do some of these higher endurance, more flexible routines, but you see just by their physiques, that it definitely is not, you know, it's, it's how you condition and how you apply that muscle onto the body. And like you said, the ranges of motions that you do it, because, you know, anybody who's seen the shoulders of a gymnast who spends a lot of time on the rings, like those are some nice bowling balls that those guys got on their shoulders, right? You mm-hmm. know, like look at what they're doing, you know, and some of those routines are just absolutely incredible. Like, you know, I would have no hope of being able to do something like that, you know, and I have, you know, decent strength and decent mobility, but nothing compares to what those guys have. And they have like this perfect synergistic blend of both, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the reason why their physique is so good is because they are actually training their muscles through that full range of motion. And a lot of times people, when they are exercising in general in the gym, let's say, they are not focusing on training in full range of motion. And then that is actually where you can gain a lot of the magic, right? So when you as I said, like if you stretch the muscle to its full range where it doesn't go anymore and it's under low, it's under tension. So you're not actually relaxing, but you're trying to, you know, lengthen it as much as you can and then return, you know, to the eccentric and the concentric movements, you know, without stopping. That is actually how you grant your body more access to greater ranges of motion. So every time you go and train, it's another opportunity to try and improve your range of motion in your muscles even without focusing on doing mobility drills, just through the strength training itself. And you see what's happening during gymnastics. They are, you know, you, you can't really limit the range of motion. You know, if you want to be able to perform the actual movement, you have to allow the body to go through the full range of motion because they rely a lot on elastic energy, which has to do with the fascia, which wraps around all the muscles in the body. So to become efficient movers and to not waste energy either, they have to utilize that full range of motion because only when you go to the full range of motion with your muscle is when your elastic energy becomes involved. So elastic energy would be, for example, if you put your arms all the way behind you and they don't go anymore and they're fully stretched out and now I stretch them a little bit more and that's, that's where that recoil occurs. So that's where the fascial system comes in and then you're able to utilize that in conjunction with the coordination of your muscle you can create very efficient movement and fluid movement and have uh, beautiful mobility. Yeah, you know, this goes back to like what we were saying about like the indoctrination of bad information. When I was in university, you know, for, you know, fitness theory, weight room instruction, personal training, just the whole, you know, fitness side of life. It was taught that say thing to, well, let's pick on the bench press, for example. If you go below 90 degrees on a bench press, it becomes contraindicated because of the excess pressure it puts on the shoulders. It's like, 
well, then why not just stretch your shoulders? Why not just stretch out the tissue? Why not stretch the connections between the anterior delta and, you know, like the, the pec major? And, you know, and even, you know, the, the, we can say, you know, we can ramble it off, but I'm just saying that the, the irony is here again, like you're talking about 22 years ago, which is very recent, you know, in our past, in all of these journeys, that something like that, where they wasn't just like, Hey, why don't you work on increasing, you know, strength through the full range of motion so you're not creating two different zones of strength? Because what's going to be the thing that's going to snap that pec tendon off the bone? Well, it's going to be that, you know, I can bench press 225 halfway and I can only bench 35 all the way. But I want to be a man today because my homeboys are in the gym with me today. And I want to try to bench that 225 now down to my chest. And all of a sudden you rip that, that, you know, that tendon off the bone. And you're just like, why did that happen? Like, you know, it's just like, well, yeah, because you're creating two different, you know, areas of strength in your body, you know, and one yeah. group. And, you know, you don't have the flexibility, flexibility plus strength to be able to, to do those advanced movements. Right. So it's just, it's, it's funny to me. It goes back to the fat and sugar thing where, you know, like all of this is just so recent in our past. We're all living both sides of that information right now, you know, like you're a nice age, you know, people slightly older, that's the benefit of all these younger people getting into it. They're starting to only really live the good information, which is great. It's yeah. great to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And now with technology, you know, it gets out there so much faster. So that's the beautiful thing. And now, you know, we're doing this podcast, we're able to, you know, impact a lot of pe- people, hopefully. And, uh, and give them like valuable knowledge and free tips so that they can, you know, implement. And I'm sure already we've all given people so much good information. And, and you know, that it's, uh, what you said, you know, it's actually all about programming and, uh, and, and being wise with your, uh, with your decisions when it comes to training. If you, you know, if you want to prevent injuries, uh, then you have to train in full range of motion. That's a fact. Like if you think about daily life, uh, it's a daily life is a full range of motion sport. <laughs> if you, if by accident you need to do something very extreme with your body, you have trained your body to be able to handle that situation. But if you partially train your body and then you go and, you know, you trip over and you need to put your leg really far in front and you tear your hamstring or something like that. Well, it's just because you haven't conditioned your body, you know? I mean, yeah, of course, accidents happen. And even to the fittest people, to the most conditioned people, you know, it might be like a one-off situation, but the chance of it happening is way less likely if you have taken the time to progressively overload your body, leave the ego at the door and lift weights that you can truly go full range of motion with great technique. And that's how you can slowly build it over time. Because wouldn't you be proud to say that you can squat ass to the grass all the way down, say that you can squat 300 kilos rather than saying I squat that same 300 kilos halfway down, which one would you prefer to have? I mean, of course, if you go all the way down, then you are way less likely to be injured because when you are going through that full range of motion, you reach a, a zone of safety. When your limbs simply don't bend anymore or stretch anymore, where is the weight going to go? It's not going to go anywhere. So the chance of you getting injured is reduced massively, right? So the, the amount of stress on the body is reduced. So this is why exactly why we must allow the body to work as it was intended to, which is to move freely. See, and this is something that I find really alarming too. Like, do you know the requirements of lifting to be able to be in the top 5% of the strongest men in the world? Like, it's just, like, it's my body. And, you know, I'll, I'll throw out there, like, what I know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or if you've heard something different. But, you know, being able to bench press your body weight for five reps, being able to squat your body weight for five reps, um, being able to do, you know, like wide grip chins, you know, five good clean full ranges of uh, range motion. 
and uh, 1.5 times your body weight on a deadlift puts you in the top 5% or top 5% of the strongest men in the world. Mm-hmm. I just, I find mm-hmm. that to be such an alarming figure now that it's such a, a low, a low score to be able to achieve, you know, like just, it doesn't seem like it is again, it just goes back into this, like this docile way of living. Cause you know, like you said, we have there like the sport of life is rapidly deteriorating because we just don't really have to do anything with life anymore. Like, what is it like get in a car? Like you don't have to walk, you know, and this is the shame to me. Like I love technology on one side, but hate on the other. We're like, I remember the, you know, being on a skateboard and like, you know, like you're pumping that leg, pumping that leg, pumping that leg, and like one leg so tired from the the dynamic work and the the other leg so tired from the isometric contractions trying to hold the whole time. But now kids just have electric skateboards. So they just stand on it. Yeah. Like, yeah. like scooters and all this kind of stuff for, you know, mm. even the few tools that we had to be able to get people working back in the sport of life are gone. You know, and like, yeah. where does that lead people? Like you said, where it's just like, if you trip and it used to be like these people, we would see with these injuries in their like sixties and seventies, but now so, a lot of people are getting these injuries in like their thirties and forties that were typically reserved for the elderly, which was the mm. same thing as like heart disease and, you know, type two diabetes and, you know, fatty liver disease and all this kind of stuff. Like these are becoming mm. like injuries and conditions of the young now, which is extremely worrisome and scary to me and this is the whole point of why you know you and i talk and you know where you and i align very well is on these concepts where you know it's like how can you get back to having a sport of life that you know that you're kind of creating for yourself because this is physiologically where we've come and where we're going or where we should be going